it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. Like the guy with the deep voice said, we have so much to cover today. Uh, especially, I mean, there's um, a lot going on. Nikki Haley's going to be in action. She's doing a meet and greet in Columbia, South Carolina. She is still very much in this. The President of the United States will be at a big uh, uh, prayer breakfast and go meet with his union buddies at UAW. How they could meet with the President and say, I'm all in when he's pushing electric cars and most of them being built in non-union states for with less people and with batteries that are engineered outside the country. With rare earth not found here, because we don't want to mine it. I digress. Uh, Senator Rick Scott's going to be here at the bottom of the hour, so that'll be great. He wants six more years as senator from Florida. Uh, also, keep in mind, if you, can't, if you leave your family of affiliates, if you leave the uh, airwaves and you have to travel, or if you're on foot and on by your radio in your car, get that Fox News app, click on Watch, just scroll over, until you see Fox News Radio and you'll see our show, you can see, actually see the video feed, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Former President Trump has been leading national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks, but not in this one. And maybe it's an outlier, maybe it's not, but Quinnipiac has Biden up on Trump. Six points, 50 to 44. It could be an outlier or that could be the start of a new trend. We don't know. Yeah, let's see. 2024, the polls rolling in, and there are challenges for all the candidates, including that poll for the former president. Reasons to stress and reasons to, but no reason to rest. Number two. What censorship is TikTok doing at the request of the Chinese government? None. Is TikTok under the influence of the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator, we are a private business. Your platform is basically an espionage arm for the Chinese Communist Party. Tech terror. Grieving families and friends made their way to Capitol Hill to tell their tragic stories of their child's death and how the leading platforms are to blame. Both parties agree regulation is needed, and all the tech firms say, no, not really. Number one. Mr. President, you owe it to those in harm's way to have their back. The reason they're being attacked so often is that Iran doesn't fear you. If you hit Iranian oil infrastructure and hit them where it hurts, they would stop. Yes. Stop being afraid of the Ayatollah. Not afraid. That's the theme of the world despite our superpower status as Iran militia attacks continue and China plans to take us down. And that's revealed by the FBI. They have the plan and all adding up to an administration that has to step up before Americans die and more allies flee and feel as though we can't watch their back. So what am I talking about? We know about the hit over the weekend, and we know the president said, I've already decided what I'm going to do. Now, here's the bad news. I know about it. Now you're about to know about it. And guess who else knows about it? Iran. We just saw Jennifer Griffin's report. One of the things that was recommended by Nikki Haley to me that many people speculated would have to be necessary is for Iran to feel the wrath of America for using their militias to hurt us in every way possible, feasible. So we said we're going to hit IRGC, uh, Iranian 
uh, National Guard, uh, Republican Guard, these the horrible revolutionaries, that's their elite force, uh, outside their country. Guess what? They've left all their bases because we have telegraphed exactly what we're going to do. So the president's going to make sure he looks tough hitting IRGC bases, right? right? But they've left because you telegraphed it. So we'll blow up their bunk beds. So that's the issue. Middle East is on fire. We're the target outside Israel, and we're unwilling to hit back. Here's more from Lindsey Graham. Cut one. Biden has yet to hit Iran directly. The Iranians could care less how many Houthis you kill. They could care less how many Iraqi militia you kill. The only way they will change your behavior and stop killing Americans and attacking our troops and trying to bomb ships in the Red Sea is for Joe Biden to hit their oil infrastructure and start killing their soldiers inside of Iran. I'm not asking to invade Iran, but I'm calling on President Biden tonight. Go to the source of the problem. If you don't hit the Iranian oil infrastructure and hit them in the wallet and make them fear you, they're going to keep killing our soldiers. So... Not only is Iran not afraid of us, they said, I dare you to hit back, because if you hit us back, we're going to hit you back. Really? Okay. Uh, Officials told NBC this. Iranian targets outside Iran would consist of both strikes and cyber operations. So we're going to hit them both ways, and we just told everybody. Secretary of State Blinken had said it would be multi-leveled, and the White House had said it would be tiered. So I hope it is. Okay. I appreciate them telling something to the press, because our president can't do anything except One word answers in front of helicopters. The White House blames the Islamic resistance in Iraq for the drone attack that killed our guys. And the bodies are coming back today at Dover. The White House on Wednesday said it believes the Islamic resistance in Iraq was responsible. This is that so-called cast off Qatab Hezbollah. Iran's United uh, U.N. ambassador came out and said Iran will retaliate to attacks on its interests. So not only are they not afraid, they're promising to hit back if we hit them. So what? The word exactly is, here's the statement. The Islamic Republic would decisively respond to any attack on the country, its interest, and national uh, nationals under any pretext. All right. Uh, it's game on. The problem is we have a, uh, a president that is nothing, uh, the other definition of timid. Next. We thought to China, you know, I watched Fareed Zakaria's show on Sunday. I like watching that. He has great international contacts. I had that passion for international uh, news. But one of the themes of the first half hour was how things are better between U.S. and China. Things have really turned the corner with U.S. and China. Really? Okay. It's interesting. Even since the Taiwan election, it's not been a big deal ever since that San Francisco meeting. Okay. Where at one thing that came out is two things. It came out that President Xi told President Biden... Uh, we're going to take Taiwan. You have to decide how you're going to respond. That's interesting. And they also said, oh, yeah, we will not infiltrate your next election. Guess who doesn't believe that? The FBI director and everybody with a mind who's been paying attention. Nobody believes that. I'm pretty sure they want Biden to win, though. They have no idea what to make of President Trump. President Trump still looks at them as a huge problem. And they are vulnerable because of they are sucking wind economically. But Christopher Ray was invited by Mike Gallagher's uh, subcommittee on China. It's really bipartisan, really effective, if they can get legislation out of it. Here's a little of what he said directly. Cut three. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure, our water treatment plants, 
our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. China's hackers are positioning on American infrastructure in preparation to wreak havoc and cause real-world harm to American citizens and communities if and when China decides the time has come to strike. Tragically, the instincts that the Biden administration has displayed over the last three years has been epically awful. Member Jake Sullivan, one week, uh, eight days before the October 7th attack, came out and said, no, the first time in his lifetime that the Middle East has actually been quiet, not not um, uh, occupying most of the National Security Advisor's agenda. Then we had the worst attack uh, on the Jewish community uh, since the Holocaust. Okay. And now the Secretary of State says things haven't been this bad in the Middle East since 1973. Uh, we know about Ukraine. He said, well, look out for the invasion, look out for the invasion. When the invasion actually happened, we did not give the Ukrainians arms to fight back, and we predicted they'd fall in four days. Uh, two years later, they're still fighting, and now we're having trouble getting them aid because we slow-walked all their weapons, and we still have a chance to pull that out. Now we have a situation where now we're talking about how peaceful things have been and how friendly in proportion things have been with China. At which time we have this committee yesterday where Christopher Ray finally seemed to have said, thank you for asking. This is really bad and really alarming. And if you want us to fight back cyberly, they're buying up our agricultural land and key military bases. Smart governors like Governor DeSantis in Florida is, a lot, is awakened to this, as well as Texas. And not everybody is, like, for example, in Michigan. They don't seem to care. But now we're on this situation where we're looking to cooperate. But on the other hand, China's acting totally different because he's looking at us as the enemy. Cut four. And let's be clear, cyber threats to our critical infrastructure represent real-world threats to our physical safety. To quantify what we're up against, the PRC has a bigger hacking program than that of every major nation combined. In fact, in fact, if you took every single one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts and focused them exclusively on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. And I'll play this out. You know how close the alliance now is with North Korea and Russia. They have their own cyber divisions, could only help them be more formidable. And we have not responded with the same cyber um, expediency. Uh, with the, I mean, we, we can do it. We have to put the money into it. And if Mike Gallagher's got to hop on every show and say, this is an issue, we got to bring it up and grab his counterpart and go forward and say, we need money for this to bring up a huge cyber division protection plan and program. That's what I believe. And know that they might be acting nice in certain areas, but in other areas, they're looking to take us down. And nobody's effectively explained why thousands of young men, China, our young men are paying a lot of money to fly into Mexico and walk across our border with pocket protectors, essentially saying, yeah, I'm a refugee. Really? No one gets out of China unless China wants them to get out. Can you please explain this to me? We're trying to say that if something happens here against China, they might just have an army forming in every, in every single city and a cyber attack plan that we're not ready for. 
I think we're getting the warning sign. And I think we can get on the same page on this issue. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, the tech giants, the titans that came to Capitol Hill yesterday, and what's different this time, and why I believe we're going to get some legislation out of this. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What censorship is TikTok doing at the request of the Chinese government? None. Is TikTok under the influence of the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator. We are a private business. Your platform is basically an espionage arm for the Chinese Communist Party. Why should you not be banned in the United States of America? I disagree with your characterization. TikTok is is used by 170 million Americans. I know, and every single one of those Americans are in danger. Uh, And that is part of the hearing yesterday, and uh, they had a lot there. They had uh, Twitter was there, X, whatever they call it, Uh, not Elon Musk, but he had the president of the company. They were really not touched. But on Capitol Hill, the text giants include Discord. Have you heard of Discord? I never heard of Discord. Uh, Snapchat, X, and TikTok, and, of course, Meta. Most of the focus was on Meta. Facebook, the platform previously known as Twitter, appeared before lawmakers, but Meta uh, was the one that was got most of the focus, Facebook and especially Instagram. And they had these families come out and basically tell their stories of how their uh, their kids got uh, caught up in this vortex, how they tried to get the social platforms in many cases involved, and they could not get a human being. It's all building up to legislation that will pass unless the donor dollars and the lobbying dollars become too attractive to these lawmakers. But most of them are in their 70s and 80s. Maybe they could just do the right thing. For me, that would be fantastic. But some dramatic things were going on. Uh, for example, liquid, listen to how Ted Cruz talked with uh, TikTok. Cut seven. On TikTok, in China, you are promoting to kids science and math videos, educational videos, and you limit the amount of time kids can be on TikTok. In the United States, you are promoting to kids self-harm videos and anti-Israel propaganda. Why is there such a dramatic difference? Senator, that is just not accurate. Uh, There's not a difference between what kids see in China and what kids see here? Senator, TikTok is not available in China. It's a separate experience here. Do you believe that? So to get him out of this Q&A with Senator Cruz, he goes, look, just want to tell you, we don't even let you see you're not even allowed to see TikTok in China at all, let alone the educational arm that it actually is for their kids. More from Ted Cruz and some of the abuse. This time it was after Zuckerberg. Cut, four, cut 10. These results may contain images of child sexual abuse. And then you gave users two choices. Get resources or see results anyway. Mr. Zuckerberg, what the hell were you thinking? All right, Senator. Um, the, the, the basic science behind that is that when people are searching for something that is problematic, it's often helpful to 
rather than just blocking it to help direct them towards something that um, that could be helpful for getting them to get help. In what I also, understand, get resources. In what sane universe is there a link for C results anyway? Well, because we might be wrong. We we try to trigger this this uh, warning, or we tried to, um, when we think that there's any chance that the results. Okay, you might, might be, be wrong. So, how do you feel about that? You think that's a good answer? So a 13-year-old might be getting into child pornography or some pedophile on the other side. It's spotted by a human being or by the, uh, by the, by the app itself. And they say, well, you probably don't want to go through there. How about a waiting period? How about a time to click in and find out? And maybe there's a monitor that's going to go, must need go to a monitor. But listen, I'm warning you. And if I, since I warned you, you're on your own. And I'm alleviated from any type of uh, lawsuit. And right now they are liability. They have no liability to anything because of something that came up in the 90s and the birth of all this social media mayhem. Now it's time to rein it in. They have some legislation for this. Listen to Mike Lee and Mark Zuckerberg. Cut 11. What I'm trying to understand is why it is that Instagram is – only restricting it's it's restricting access to to uh, sexually explicit content, but only for teens ages thirteen to fifteen. Uh, why not restrict it for sixteen and seventeen year olds as well, uh, Senator? My understanding is that we don't allow sexually explicit content uh, on on the service for people of any age. Um, the the um, how is that going? Uh, you know our our. Uh, our prevalence metrics suggest that I think it's 99% or so of the content that we remove, we're able to identify automatically using AI systems. So I think that our efforts in this, while they're not perfect, I think are industry leading. Well, your prevalence metrics, that is, those are two words I will never use in a sentence. Well, your prevalence metrics for coming in on time seems to be in the negative category. So I don't know. You have a bunch of parents testifying prior to this that feel differently. Here's what Dick Durbin concluded with this. Cut 12. Um, I mentioned we recently um, launched something called Teen Safety Assist, which works everywhere, and it's on by default for teen users. That kind of acts like a buddy that um, lets them know if they are in a situation or talking with someone that may be inappropriate so they can report that to, to us and block that user. Um, so we, Mr. Citrone, if that were working, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah, we don't. We, I have a buddy online now that could tell me not to go any further. Yeah, the buddy system. It works when you're camping, especially if you're hiking. So there's got to be some regulation, reasonable regulation. And in the past, people just talk over these lawmakers' heads because they're not cyber experts. They miss that generation. But the parents and the families, uh, their mourning. That was the bound. That gives me hope that something's going to get done. Because you can't talk over their heads. They're living that hell. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He does not seem to care. I told President Biden this myself on multiple occasions, most recently a couple of weeks ago on the phone. I read him the law that says that he has all this authority, but he refuses to act. And even that's even despite court orders, by the way, that instructed the administration to reinstitute Remain in Mexico while the litigation was going on. You know what they did? They ignored it. The administration refused it.
So Speaker Johnson is also an esteemed lawyer uh, speaking out, said he picked up the phone and called the president, said you have the power, forget about the legislation, you have the power right now through executive orders uh, to go ahead and do it. He's cited the exact part of the Constitution. Also, Joe Biden's a lawyer, bad one, uh, not a, uh, didn't get great grades over at Syracuse, lied about what he did, but I digress. And then the uh, Joe Biden knows exactly what's going on because he reversed every uh, Trump policy on purpose to remain in Mexico, the first country you go to. You got to apply uh, for a visa there, at which time that you'll be evaluated. When we're ready, we contact you. Instead, you have an app. All you have to do is fill out the forms on that app, send it in, and you'll get a number. You show up with that number, you're allowed to get in. Really? And you wonder why the numbers are exploding? Also, he didn't build the wall, hasn't enforced it, and he pretends it's because I don't have enough border patrol. You know the only reason he doesn't want a wall, because Donald Trump wanted a wall. Donald Trump paid for the wall with our money, and it's sitting in a desert. With me right now is Senator Rick Scott. He's Homeland. He's on Homeland Committee, Government Affairs Committee, Armed Services Committee. And if uh, he wins re-election, he hopes to be in the majority. Uh, he also does budget as well as aging. Senator Rick Scott, welcome back. It's great to be on your show, Brian. Uh, the, the border is a disaster. Uh, Biden could Biden could secure it today. Trump secured the border with the exact same laws. Biden is lawless. We got drugs. We got human traffickers. We got criminals, terrorists, and we got some wonderful people who want to come live our dream, come legally. Uh, so there's a there's a bill that we never get to see um, that they continue to keep working on week after week. Uh, McConnell has decided that we're not going to tie anything that would force Biden to secure the border today, like. A to Ukraine, he said, nope, we're not going to have that in there. So there will be nothing to force a lawless president to secure the border now. Maybe there might be something good in here for uh, another president, but we got to make sure there's nothing in here that actually hurts a Republican president from uh, being able to secure the border. So it's frustrating. I'd love to get the text. I'd love to read it. I'd love it to be a good bill. But it's also hard to pass things over here that we know are dead arrival in the House. Why would we waste our time doing that? Right. Uh, they want to pass H.R. 2. Uh, what are the what are from fundamentally do you know of that Democrats object to in H.R. 2? Oh, they don't. We, we, there's no conversation. Brian, you have a high regard for over here. We don't have conversations about things. We we don't we don't you know like you would think we'd all get on the Senate floor. This is a big issue. Let's all get on the Senate floor and let's everybody talk about what we should do and say where is some common ground here. No, we don't do things like that. Um, the look, the Democrats they want an completely open border. They voted against all border securities uh, since I've been up here. They fought Trump the whole time. Yep. And think about it. Trump had these guys fighting against him the whole time. Right? He still m- managed to build you know, a lot of wall and secure the border. Without a new bill. Right. I want so, you to hear what Joe Biden said through a, through a chopper in passing because he doesn't give the press the time of day. Listen to this. Give me the power, he's saying. I asked it from day one. Senator Scott, do you, do you feel differently? We don't give him the power? Yeah, he's a liar. He's, he's a complete liar. Number one, he's used uh, parole authority. 
um, that is not supposed to be used for blanket authority to let in unbelievable amounts of people. He he doesn't force he, he stopped catch and release. He didn't he you know remain in Mexico. He's required to enforce it and he doesn't. He stopped the, he stopped the wall the wall just stopped being built and and the gates weren't built. The, you know they didn't finish that. They shut down the electricity so the lights didn't work and the cameras. He's got expedited removal authority. Doesn't want to use it. I mean, he. I mean, this is. He opened the border. I mean, the guy just. He. he you know, he opened the border. And said, "Come on in." And so, think. I want. I look. I'm from an immigration state. We love immigration, legal immigration. Right. I don't want drugs killing people in my state. I don't want human traffickers in my state. I don't want criminals in my state. I don't want terrorists in my state. They don't even. And by the way, they don't know where all these people are going. They're going all over this country. Uh, the director of the FBI said, we have terror cells all over the country as a result of an open border, all over the country. He said, we've got lights blinking everywhere. I mean, does, when were these – why don't Democrats give a damn about the safety of Americans? Right now, it's, it's a 50-state issue. We have uh, Lawrence Jones going to Boston, went to Denver, was in Chicago, and he interviewed mostly Democratic voters and politicians – Who's witnessed their states being totally overrun and people who live there say, I want that rec center for my kids. You told us you didn't have the money to develop that. Now the money comes in and you made it a shelter for illegal immigrants, not even for our homeless. They're outraged. It's not Senator Rick Scott in Florida that's outraged. This is everyday Americans. Does all this uniqueness of this challenge, as pervasive as it is, does it make you more optimistic something's going to get done? No. I mean, they, they've completely lost track. The American public wants the border to be secure today, right? That's what they want. Democrats don't want it, and Mitch McConnell told Langford he could not he could not put in the bill anything that would force, like Ukraine aid, that would force Biden to comply with the law today and secure the border and stop this unbelievable number of people coming across our border. I don't get it. It's the biggest issue in the country. It's bigger than our economy. And there's no accountability to force Biden mm-hmm. to secure the border today. I mean, this, that's why this doesn't make sense to me. So it was a really alarming conference yesterday on Capitol Hill. There's two of them, one on the, on the big tech, and the other one was the FBI talking about China and the dangers. And they believe uh, basically Christopher Ray does not want to get into politics and say ban TikTok, which is ridiculous. Just be a law guy and to just do the right, say the right thing. Cut five. I have very significant security concerns about TikTok, uh, and it's it's a combination of the ability that the Chinese government would have to, if they should choose to exercise it, to control the collection of the data, to control the recommendation algorithm, and if they wanted to, to be able to control and compromise devices. Uh, and if you layer AI, as you're saying, right on top of all that, uh, it just amplifies those concerns because the ability to collect U.S. person data and feed that into their AI engine, um, it just magnifies the problem. Senator, why don't you say it? We have to ban it. He won't say it. Do you believe we should ban it? Absolutely. We all need to wake up, right? 
China wants to destroy us. They want to destroy our way of life. They're killing people through fentanyl. They're stealing our jobs. I mean, they're, they're, they're sending produce over here with lead in it. I mean, everything they're doing is to destroy America and Americans. We need to wake up. We need to ban any any business with them. Stop doing – stop buying Chinese stuff. I mean, stop. We just have to have to say, you know what? We, we you know, they were smart. They got us hooked on their stuff. We need to stop that. Look at the world. Since Biden took office, China's got worse. Russia's in, invaded Ukraine. Uh, the Ayatollah is, is supporting Houthis and Hezbollah and Hamas. I mean, you, the world is getting more dangerous because we have weakness. We get peace through strength. As, a, as Americans, we have the ability to decide what the worldwide economy is. Don't buy Chinese stuff. We need to impose. We need to impose sanctions and enforce them. We're not imposing real sanctions on Russia, or, or on on the Iranians. I mean, Biden releases all this stuff. He acts like it's a nice sounding boy. Like he said, he's with with regard to the service. Man, when we just lost, he said he's going to do something. Yeah, right. He's going to wait for the next the next media cycle. Hopefully, it'll pass, and he'll never do anything meaningful. Right. This guy's weak. He's putting us all at risk. Open borders, all this stuff. He's put every one of our families at risk. Senator, uh, Senator, what makes you want another six years? Uh, because I know you and Ron Johnson have both business backgrounds. You both express frustration at the pace in which things get done and the politics in Capitol Hill. What makes you think that this is the right thing for you at this point? Well, here's the deal. There's no place to move. There's no other. The easiest thing, Move. That's what New Yorkers are doing. They're moving Florida. You can't move. There's no other country to move to. We have to preserve this country. We have to preserve our way of life. The easiest thing is just walk away. Right? Right. But if we don't fight for what we believe in, right? This, this will this will go away. We 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 will not do this. I mean, I've, I've got I've got a plan to rescue the country. You can go to rescueamerica.com. We we can do this, right? And so and look. The, I'm, I'm running for election. Um, I hope everybody will support me. You can go to rickscott.com and volunteer. But we have got to fight for what we – like, we all love our families. We love our kids. We, you know, we want to be safe. This, Democrats are putting us in a position where the schools are good, but the economy is bad. Look, at, if you're poor like my mom was, like we were growing up – my, look at the inflation, how it impacts poor people right now with Biden's inflation. It's devastating to them. Their wages are not even staying close to staying up with, with the inflation. And look at the crime rampant. If we, and look, it's going to impact all of us. It's not going to impact right. just somebody else, all of us. So a couple of things going on. Let's look at the election. Why do you think uh, Governor Ron DeSantis never got really uh, made a serious run at President Trump? Uh, a solid second, but didn't really last to New Hampshire. What What do you think happened? I, I I think Trump. First off, I think Trump has done a really good job, and he's defined. Everybody knows him, and guess what? He can brag that he secured the border as hard as it was. He did it. He can brag that the economy was good. He did it, right? And he can brag that well, however he did it, we weren't at war. Russia didn't invade invaded Ukraine. The, the the Iran was Iran was broke. China was worried. Okay, Mexico Mexico helped us secure the border, right? So how do you beat a guy with that track record? 
I think I think I think Trump is, is you cannot beat him in the primary and he's going to win the he's going to win the presidency because people are sick and tired of the Democrats and Biden what Biden are doing it's, everybody looks and says is Biden doing is that good for my family no it's not good for your family they're going to vote for Trump they want they want right. a president that cares about the economy and cares about you and cares about securing the border and doesn't want to be at war and you do you prevent war by having strength not weakness Trump projects right. strength. So you don't you just don't think he's beatable. And the, no, it, it doesn't matter beatable. who ran against him. No, he's not beatable. So Quinnipiac does a poll and it's the first one in probably 3 months that I've seen anything like this. Uh Joe Biden beats Donald Trump by 6 points in this Quinnipiac poll January 25th to 29th, 1800 people. Uh with Kennedy in the race, Cornell West and Jill Stein, it is 39-37, so uh, slightly closer. And guess what? Nikki Haley beats Biden by five overall. And I thought, okay, that means they probably got more Democrats. But when asked what the number one issue is, the economy and immigration tied at number one. As a Republican who likes President Trump, should this worry you? No. In my my races, Quinnipiac's been off seven points. I mean, they they always project I'm going to be I'm going to lose by a landslide. Right. And everyone in my in my two governor's races and my Senate race in 18, they always project I was going to lose it. And they were generally off about seven points. OK, so you look at that as an outlier. No, it's a joke. Quinnipiac, don't if you if you believe the Quinnipiac poll, you're foolish. So there's a morning consult poll uh, with Bloomberg sponsored it. Trump wins North Carolina by 10, Nevada by 8, with Georgia by 8, Wisconsin by 5, Michigan by 5, Pennsylvania and Arizona by 3. Uh, but they do say this. Uh, when asked, 53 percent of the battleground state voters said they would back him. They would. Uh, the voters would back him if he's found guilty of a crime, uh, if sentenced. So 53 percent doesn't mean that means 47 percent might go look elsewhere. Does the fact that these court cases, 91 charges and four indictments coming straight ahead, unprecedented. Does that make you does that give you pause? No, I mean this is this is all this is all. You know, look, if somebody else was our, our you know, uh, presumptive nominee, they would they would have court cases against them. I mean, the Democrats are they they politicized the Department of Justice, they politicized the, the criminal system to go after Republicans. This is this is what they do, you know, in a banana Republican. They're doing it here. Um, and like right, right on Monday, I I, w- I gave a victim statement because they released my tax return. This guy did that released Trump's. I mean, he did like 7,500 people. What does the Department of Justice do? Let him plead to one case. One case. You know why? Oh, because he, 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 he agreed with – Biden agreed with what he was doing. Justice agreed with what he was doing. They one case they did. And, and think about that. When they were going to go – when they were going to – when um, Project Veritas was going to release uh, Biden's da- daughter's diary, they did – FBI raided uh, Project Veritas. ProPublica and the New York Times re- released my information, Trump's information, Elon Musk. Did they ever go after them? No. Nope. This, this whole judicial system has been politicized against Republicans. It's unbelievable. At least the Georgia case seems to be blowing up there in a delay and many others. Hopefully they'll get through the election uh, without any of these uh, cases side, sidetracking. Uh, we'll see. Senator Rick Scott running for re-election uh, against this, this uh, Senate deal when it comes to immigration. And uh, let's ride it out until until the election. Senator Rick Scott, thank you. Have a good day, Brian. Bye bye. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got a few minutes when we get back before the top of the hour to get some calls in. Don't move. 
Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You must look at the fact that these were physical attacks. These were not right. somebody you're letting out for doing something that was non-physical. Right. Secondly, with migrants, you're releasing them to go where? So even yeah. those of us that have fought for reform, there's a difference between reform and deform. This is deform. This yeah. is this is where you are really, again, we need to deal with the migrant issue and we need to deal with the crisis. So to have people just walking around being able to do this is not reforming and it's not progressive. We need to really deal with how we handle policing in a way that police nor citizens are victims of people that are reckless. And we need to be mature about that. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the NYPD has been told you got to write up every interaction. It's going to hurt us already. Now, in response, Instead of sixteen, instead of fourteen minutes from the time you call nine one one to them getting there, is now up to sixteen minutes already. Al Sharpton responding to the fact that two cops were beat up by illegal immigrants in front of a migrant shelter because they were fighting and they showed up to create some peace, and then they got beat up, and all these guys are out again. So even Al Sharpton is saying this is not what's meant by bail reform. The governor's considering deporting them. When these one of these guys walked out, followed by cameras, he gave them two uh, the middle finger on both hands. They're here illegally, getting our stuff for free. We're doing their laundry, feeding them, providing them shelter. They're probably worth finding a way to work. They might be gang, actually gang members, and they have total disdain for our system and for our law enforcement. What more proof do you need that they don't belong here? What country would tolerate this? Vladimir Putin would have killed both these guys before they even got to the jail. Yeah, can you imagine that in China? An illegal immigrant here beat up a Chinese cop dead on the spot. These guys are not only not dead, they're not in jail. Unbelievable. They're not even deported. I didn't even want them deported because that means they just worked their way back here. Brian Kilman. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, everybody, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York City, 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, the site of the number one illegal immigrant problem in the country. Although per capita, Denver, congratulations, you have the title. We have the most, and they're almost all out of control. It is bursting at the seams, costing us billions of dollars. And I believe Boston's got a huge problem. Philadelphia's got a huge problem. Chicago off the charts and affecting working class communities more than anything else. That, to me, is the most aggravating. Uh, Meanwhile, we're going to talk about 2024, too. We have some polls in that Donald Trump's not going to like. We have some polls in that Joe Biden is going to absolutely hate. Uh, Also, what I saw at that tech conference yesterday on the Senate side was absolutely alarming. I love the fact that there were parents and uh, grieving families there to tell their side of the story so it wasn't just politicians against tech experts. I think something's going to come out of this. And we're also going to talk about what's happening with Iran and when are we going to get serious about the series of strikes. We have a it's seemingly a slowly out of control Middle East. With us right now, a man who's seen it all. As governor in Virginia, he knows he's proven he can run a state. And as senator, uh, he has no problem taking on his own party. 
when he thinks they're wrong. Senator Joe Manchin is also considering a run for the presidency because he's not going to run for another six years in the Senate. He's chairman of Energy and Natural Resources, Appropriations, Armed Services, and Veterans Committee, and uh, Veterans Affairs. And believe me, his plate is always full. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, the first thing, the most important, I understand uh, your wife was in an accident. How is she? She's doing well, Brian. Thank you. It's good to be with you. But it was very scary. She was on uh, her work assignment. She's with the uh, she's the uh, head person with the uh, Appalachian Regional Commission. She was in Birmingham, and they were driving from the airport to the uh, Sheraton Hotel when they got kind of broadsided, uh, t-boned, if you will, uh, in uh, someone running a red light. Wow. Uh, so God bless her. I mean, it's, it's the grace of God. It was a miracle. And she's bruised up pretty good, but uh, she's going to survive, and she's home in West Virginia resting right now. We wow. got her back out of the hospital. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm glad she's okay. It's scary. You never know. I mean, it's nothing you to do with know. her. She's just driving. Let me just tell you how tough she is. She calls me, and she says, uh, honey, I was in an accident, but I'm, I'm okay, I think. And I says, where are you? She says, I'm laying on the gurney, and they're putting me in an ambulance. That's my first call I got. Wow. <laughs> I know. And what were you thinking? And I took off and went down there. So we got everything. And the UAB, uh, the hospital, University of Alabama uh, Trauma Center in Birmingham was just fantastic. The whole pe- All the people were great in Alabama. Very, very good. So you just, you were just traveling together? No, no. I was here in Washington getting oh. ready to speak. I had a phone call. It was 4 o'clock her time, 5 o'clock my time in gotcha. Washington. I was getting ready to go to dinner to speak at a dinner. And I got that phone call from her and just got a plane as quick as I could and went right down and stayed a couple of days with her and got her stabilized and she's back home resting. But they took her and observed her and checked everything up and down and a couple times over. All right. That's awesome. Uh, I'm glad she's going to be okay. Uh, yeah, Senator. thank you. So I know, so I know she, she'd want you back in action and back in action you are. <laughs> Uh, first things first, we see that uh, the president says, I've decided on an answer when it comes to Iran. I've decided on an hour of operations. And then NBC publishes the story that we're going to hit IRGC um, bases as well as different militia sites. And they basically, according to Jennifer Griffin, have now vacated these bases. Is this the way to handle Iran in the region? Well, I haven't seen that. That's uh, on armed services right now. We're to get, you know, to get uh, a, uh, a secured hearing on this and, and a briefing. Uh, I have not seen exactly, and I understand. You know, sometimes you would like the element of surprise, but boy, I'll tell you, if some news gatherings have already received this, it's, it's alarming. There, that it's being played out in the news media before we've able we're able to see it here in uh, in Congress, but. We've got to. We have got to strike back, and we will strike back, I'm sure. You've got to build a coalition and keep a coalition together. I understand how important that is. So uh, I know he's been. they've been criticized for taking too long to respond, uh, and uh, you, you, I mean it's just imperative that we keep our, uh, our coalition together, and U.K. has been right there with us. We're bringing others on, and I'm just uh, anxious to see the Saudis and UAEs in that part of the world um, – get into the fight also. So you want them actually committing troops to take on the Houthi rebels? You want them committing troops to... Um... I would like that. It's in their neighborhood. It's their, it benefits them. It's their neighbors. They need to clean up that neighborhood. We can help them with the technical, technical support that we're doing and also trying to keep the shipping lanes and doing everything that we can to keep commerce and the world order, if you will, to a certain extent. So the pricing is not gouged all the way around the world and it's felt in America too. But with that, they have to clean up that neighborhood. And only uh, the uh, Saudis, UAEs, and, and the Bahrains have been doing a great job. They've engaged. And we 
just need others in that part of the world to say enough is enough. Are you, are you used uh, you to being know. briefed? Are you used to being briefed on things like this from Republican and Democratic administrations? Because there's been some frustration on both sides, I think, because they seem in the dark about what they're doing. And, you know, we were in the dark about where our secretary of defense was for a while. No, we've been we we've got briefings. We get we get all what we call uh, all member briefing, which is a hundred senators, uh, Democrats, Republicans sitting there. They're always very very good briefings. We can ask questions. Sometimes people are frustrated. Sometimes that we're hearing things that we already heard in the press, and uh, that's very frustrating. And then, but most times we get uh, we we get the straight skinny of what's going on, the challenges we face. They never give us, and, and they're not going to uh, at that time divulge what their strategy. is is they have three or four options they'll lay out for us. You can you know, you can surmise yourself what would you think be the best and then we see it happen. But uh, with with that, uh, I, I've been uh, I've been pretty well impressed with the briefings I'm receiving and also the answers I get when I'm uh, a little bit uh, concerned and confused about things sound a little bit muddled and you're wondering why haven't we hit? Why are we taking so long? And then when you saw the coalition, you can't put a coalition together overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. But if anyone's so, going to hit Iran and their assets, it's going to be us. And now they're hitting us directly. They killed three of our guys. They wounded 40 in Tower 22 uh, in that region. So they were not be able to be protected. Some confusion about drones coming in and out. Not sure. Yeah. But if you're one of the families of the 2,500 sitting in Iraq or the few hundred sitting in, in Jordan today, you feel as though you're unprotected and you cannot get on the offensive because the word is you can knock down the rocket, but you can't down knock take out the guy that shot the rocket. Well, I think you're going to see that change. I think you've seen that change down in Yemen. Uh, and they've taken out not only the uh, areas of, uh, of right. concerns that we have with the radars and all that, but they've been hitting strategic posts and strategic places where there's been damage. And you're, you just, you're, I can assure you, they're getting hit and hit hard. Uh, and we're going to take out all the leaders that we possibly can. I think you know, and I've said this. This is something that that Bryant right now, the politics get to a, a fever pitch, and that's what's happening. We've got to calm it down. And in, in the United States, we have got to be united in our fight against terrorists anywhere in the world. And you have to be committed to wipe out terrorism. And I've, I've, I've described terrorists this way. Civilized countries who have disputes and they go to war, uh, you have uh, basically the rules of war, and, and you adhere to that. Uh, but when you have a, 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 a um, terrorist organization, they use their people to protect their war machines. Civilized countries use their war machines to protect their people. You've got to eliminate that because you're not going to change it. Their values are completely different. And this is what we're fighting. And it's not just us. It's people know all over the world that are fighting terrorists. And that part of the world where it's breeding and basically uh, incentivizing right. this type of terror activity has to be eliminated. So, Senator, and right now in yeah. Iraq and Syria and all the places where we have troops, we can't leave those areas, but we have to be strategically how we protect, but also how we uh, not only defend ourselves, right. but eliminate the terrorists where we can. Senator Manchin, just no one's afraid of us. Uh, in fact, the Iranians said if we hit them, we're prepared. They're prepared to hit us again. So they're warning us before we even retaliate. And they're basically responsible for killing our people. So we've got to get on the front foot. And it, it, I want to be the toughest kid on the block again. We pay a lot of money for that, for that title. I want to show everyone we deserve it. But I want to talk about something else that you and I uh, feel the same about. Well, we're going to hit. We're going to hit hard, and trust me, they are scared of us. They can tell you all they want to. They can speak tough, but I can tell you one thing. The United States of America, they're scared. 
they should be scared because we can do unbelievable damage to them, but we don't want to escalate if we can help that. That's why strategic strikes, making sure we hit the right people in the right place to send a, a clear message you will not put any American in danger or harm, and you will not basically be attacking us without absolute, I mean absolute, right. response is going to be deadly. Something else we agree on is not using our natural resource, especially at this time, especially with natural gas, especially when Russia has cut off Europe uh, voluntarily, they've cut right. off their relations with them. We could provide all of that, and out of nowhere, the president, not out of nowhere, the New York Times wrote the story that there's pressure from the green side of your party to cut back on this uh, fossil fuels, one of which they look at is is a uh, uh, natural gas. So they stop all new contracts on natural gas. Look at what Senator Kennedy is going to do because of this. Listen. Well, I could be, but I, I won't be. I'm going to be very selective in who I block. But the truth is that uh, in trying to stop exporting of liquefied natural gas, the president um, is committing energy suicide for America. And he's hurting the environment at the same time. And I think he's doing it frankly, just to pander to the moon wing of his party. How do you feel about that? Is Kennedy right? Well, let me make sure you understand. I'm chairman of the Energy Committee. Today, we are producing in the United States of America more energy than ever in the history of our country. No matter who the president has been in the past, Republican or Democrat, Obama, Trump, Reagan, whoever you want to pick, we're producing more energy today than we ever have, and people can't believe that and come to grips. This administration won't acknowledge that basically through the IRA, we forced them to produce more oil and more gas, cleaner energy in America to help stabilize the world order, if you will, but also make us energy independent. We're able to help our allies. In 2016, we were not basically producing any LNG exporting it at all, not zero. Today, it's 13.8 billion uh, billion cubic feet a day. That is going to go to 26 billion, and they're putting the pause at 26. So we're not stopping anything from going. I'm having a hearing right now to find out if it's prudent or not, and if it's based on if it's based on the economy, it's based on the reserves that we had and what we do to our own economy. Do we have enough energy uh, to uh, produce for America and keep our economy moving and also help our allies around the world? That's what we have to do. Now, I think they're pandering to the left. I do, and I've been absolutely critical of what's been going on. And I'm going to call that meeting, and I'm going to I'll have the facts, and we'll we'll just call it the way it is, Brian. But right now, make this no, we're not in jeopardy. It's not going to happen today. We've got another 13 billion. We're going to double the production we have right now with everything that's in the queue. What they're saying is they're going to throttle back and not put any more permits out. I think that is premature. We ought to have this hearing. We ought to find the facts out and forget about the politics and the people that want no energy whatsoever as far as to do with fossil. I'm sorry. It's called the global climate. It's not called the United States climate. And I can guarantee you we have reduced our footprint with our emissions more than any country in the world in the last two decades. And we're doing it better and cleaner than anywhere else. But for the administration not to say, this is an energy security bill that we have. We're producing more energy today. 37 trillion cubic feet of gas was produced last year. We'll do 38 trillion this year. 4.6 billion barrels of oil was Senator, produced last year. Uh, I think We're going to do great. more this year. But Europe, as you know, lost their number one f- supplier, and that was Russia. If we could be their number one supplier, it's a win for everybody. And if well, we, we, will, if we, if we, if we curtail it, if we curtail it now, it's bad. We're not curtailing it now. 
I just don't want it curtailed at 26 right. at 26 billion cubic feet a day. We're going to double. We're producing about 40 percent. We picked up 40 percent to help our allies in Europe so they don't have to go back to Russia. The next 13, that should take care, and we should make sure, make sure that they never go back to Russia or gotcha. these rogue nations that use their revenue to do harm to us. But with that, where is it, 30 or 40? You don't want to get over the scale to where we don't have enough reserves to take care of America. That's the balancing act we're looking right now. But they are playing knee-jerking, and, their re- and I think their statement said that they were concerned about the climate. I'm concerned about the climate. I'm concerned about the energy it takes to run the country and defend the country. So that comes energy security. If you want to be the superpower of the world, Brian, right. you better have energy security. We've got it, and we need to keep it, and we can't let politics being played with it mm-hmm. and the knee-jerk from the left or right or any other direction. So I can tell you, wait till the February the 8th. I'll have this hearing, and I'll guarantee you'll get answers. I hope so, and then hope they listen to you because they still can do their own thing. Senator Joe right. Manchin, I guess. Senator, I had the head of No Labels on, the co-chair of No Labels on uh-huh. uh, this week. Uh, he said he's on about 16 states. You said you want him on uh, 30, 34 by Super Tuesday for you to jump in. Are they getting closer? RFK Jr. feels as though he's going to get on all 50 states. I talked to him yesterday. Uh, where are you guys at with No Labels, and where are you at with your decision? Well, let me say, I'm not, I haven't been out campaigning. I've been out basically listening and talking to people, and they're scared to death of what we see right now. The country is divided, and they're wanting you to pick a side. The only side is the American side. It's not a Democrat or Republican side. And I agree and disagree with both parties at certain times, and I've been the most independent person out there that's been voting here in Congress, trying to hold everyone's feet to the fire and doing the right thing for our country. No Labels is, is, is a venue that started back in the end of 2010, and it gave a venue of bipartisanship. You you could come and talk to your Republican friends, and Democrats could discuss different uh, concerns that we had and different challenges that we had. That's fine. Now all they're going into, they want to make sure that they have an opportunity for a option that we come down and Super Tuesday's over and it's decided and it's handicapped. Let's say right now, if you're handicapping it, and you have uh, former President Trump and President Biden back in a uh, two-way race. Do they want an option? Right now, both parties don't seem to be over-enamored with what they have. And can an option have an opportunity to succeed? Well, you can't succeed unless you're in all 50 ballots. And you can't succeed if you're only on half of those. So I think no labels as challenge is making sure that the 34 states that they can get on, that they have done that ballot, you know, sequestering that. And then the candidate has to be on about the other 16 on their own. That can be done. But the attraction of having someone who's laid out the framework that we're on 32 or 34 states, I'm I'm not sure if it's 32 or 34, that you have to be on, and it has to be an organization. And that would be a platform. And then whoever they want to choose or whoever they think can get on that and be given option, that's what would be decided. But that's that's down the road here right now. Let's see what plays out. Senator Joe Manchin, always great to talk to you. I sense you're going to get in if I'm a betting person. Senator Joe Manchin's going to be in after Super Tuesday. I'll do whatever just, it takes to help the country, Brian. That's right. all I can tell you. And We've I just got want to come together. And please tell uh, tell your uh, wife to get better soon. We're all pulling for her. I will, Brian. I'll tell Gail, and she, she appreciates the, the concerns and your prayers. All Thank right. you. Go get him, Senator Joe Manchin. Back Take care. Morning. Take care, Brian. Bye-bye. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Always love talking to Joe Manchin. He always makes an impact. Just quick note, I'm coming out to on April 27th. I know it seems like a long time, but, it, uh, but it's coming right around the corner. April 27th, Henderson, Nevada, right outside Las Vegas, 20 minutes from the Strip. I'll be out there talking about uh, how great this country is. It's going to be a national audience. Well, Fox Nation is going to be a co-sponsor. If you're looking to plan a great weekend with the most unique show you've ever seen, Better Than Hamilton, uh, live on stage with me, my buddies, reenacting great moments in history, going through my books, especially Teddy and Booker T, uh, multiple-week New York Times bestseller, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirate, George Washington, Secret Six. It's fun, motivational, inspirational. Go get tickets, BrianKillMe.com. VIP opportunities. I love it because I get a chance to talk to you before the show, a relaxed setting, all off the record. April 27th, the Green Valley Ranch Event Center. BrianKillMe.com is the place to find out more. Hope to see you in person. Back in a moment with a very special guest, Jillian Turner, in studio. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's been a difficult few days for the Department of Defense, and the entire department is united in our outrage and sorrow over the death of three U.S. service members on Sunday in Jordan. We all mourn the loss of three Army Reserve soldiers serving at Tower 22. Sergeant William J. Rivers, age 46, Sergeant Kennedy L. Sanders, age 24, and Sergeant Brianna A. Moffitt, age 23. So that is uh, this right now is that that is a portion of the speech that Secretary Austin is giving right now, talking about now his personal uh, personal mistake of not informing the president or anybody else that he was had cancer and then had to be rushed to the hospital. No one knew anything about this during the holidays. And in fact, when it came out, it still wasn't handled after that. I am he imagined. He's going on to address that in more detail. And, of course, you have to address the breaking news. Number one, the president said, I came up with a response to Iran and the proxies that inflicted the death and destruction on our base over in Jordan, right by the Syrian border. The bodies are coming home to Dover today. The secretary of defense is addressing us for the first time right now. And I'm very fortunate to have with us in studio. And you're watching, if you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize her. Jillian Turner, State Department correspondent and anchor. Uh, lucky enough to have her in New York. Jillian, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Brian. You seem a little surprised. He acknowledged I made a mistake. I handled it poor. We handled it poorly. I handled it poorly. He had nothing else he could possibly say, right? No, I don't think so. But I was very surprised that he, frankly, addressed it at all. That is not something I was personally anticipating based on the reporting, which has been focused on the fact that he really wants to move forward from this and he wants to stop talking about the way that this was mishandled in the wake of his hospitalization. And so to hear him come straight out on the heels of, um, you know, offering condolences to the families of the service members, that was the first thing he went to. I was very surprised. Well, you know, personally, if he's going to open up to questions, all you guys would have been asking him about this anyway. So this way you could say, "I, I just told you. My fault, never again, won't happen. To me, the biggest story is the fact that he can go two weeks without talking to the president in a time in which the Middle East is on fire. Ukraine aid is is indispensable and needed and in peril, and he didn't need to speak to the president. There was no, hey, I just called the secretary and I got voicemail. Well, and <laughs> None he, of that. you know, he just, so there's the issue of the fact that he was in the hospital for four or five days before anybody even knew his whereabouts, right? But then there's also 
something else he just acknowledged, which was that behind the scenes, he or his staff never told anybody in the administration that he had a cancer diagnosis. That's a separate issue. You know what I mean? There's two distinct issues here that were mismanaged from the perspective of a cabinet secretary. Right. And we don't know, was he unconscious? Because the only way that would happen, I believe, is that that came from the secretary. Yeah. Uh, I don't want you to tell anyone. Well, and then there's Can the... you imagine working? You, you, you know this. If you're working for somebody who's the cabinet secretary or higher up than you or they'd hired you and you say, listen, she, he or she's out. What am I supposed to do? I got to tell somebody. Unless they told you, Jillian, uh, don't tell anybody. You the have responsibility to wonder, yeah. of is right, and so a whole lot of senior people, in addition to him, made bad decisions about this, including his chief of By staff. Listen, if did he give that order though, and is that well, a we, ba- we're is, never going to know? You don't think so? Uh, I mean, how? I don't know. You'd have to have uh, right. I don't know what we would need, like, like for example, phone call transcripts or something. Uh, well, yeah, I would say this is like, did you tell your, uh, did you tell your staff not to tell anybody? No, I didn't. What was your reaction when you found that that nobody knew? I don't think people are going to give him – I don't think he's going to give reporters the opportunity to ask. So unless they're prepared to ask that question six months from now, a year from now, you, you don't know, think at a press gonna, You don't think he's going to get it now? I don't, we'll see, but I doubt yeah. he's going to take questions. The bigger story is what's our response going to be over the weekend's attacks? So the 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 I guess the big picture problem, Brian, is that it's not – you know, the president has said he has come, formulated a response to Iran, which is fine and good, but the problem is – much broader than Iran, as anybody with two eyes can tell you, which is that this is a regional problem now. This is not just uh, about responding to the Iranian regime. This is about responding to threats emanating now from Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Turkey. Um, There was reporting overnight that in the intelligence community now, in the Biden administration, people are starting to believe that the Iranian regime was taken by surprise about this drone attack in Jordan, meaning they didn't know about it ahead of time. They may have financed it. They may have, you know, built the drone, as Jennifer Griffin was just reporting, uh, that killed those service members, but they did not know about this particular attack. They did not okay it. That really points up the fact that, you know, we like to talk about how Iran owns and operates all these proxy groups which to a certain extent they do, but they don't have full control over all these groups, right? They don't even have insight into what they're all doing. They may have created these monsters, but now they're out there in the world operating fairly independently. You know, Iran funds them. They equip them with ammunition and weapons. Sometimes they even train them. But then these fighters go off into various corners of the Middle East and do what they want to do. There's a few facets to that. Number one, isn't that the same thing we heard, too? This administration believes that Iran was surprised when Hamas uh, did the October 7th attack. Mm -hmm. And doesn't that make it easier on the administration because maybe they don't now directly have to go after Iran and confront Iran because they didn't know about it? Now, all of a sudden, we hear Iran didn't know about it because there's so much pressure, perhaps, to respond directly to Iran after the Houthi rebels do this. After what was it? What are we up to? 165 attacks, yeah. and now this one costs Six, American 166, lives. 166, I think it was. 166 yeah. costs American lives, and then at the same time, we hear reports. Anytime someone goes into deep background, which was almost immediate, reports of them having meetings, Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, and Iranian representatives in Lebanon, in various places, the training that was going on. With uh, Iranians in place. So I don't think you could have both things happening at the same time. You think that, for example, if people were working for anybody, by the way, I don't know if I told you or not, don't hit America because I'm pretty sure they'll bomb us. 
Um, that stuff could have been handled in a text message. You probably don't want to hit that specific base or that tower in Jordan. Mm. I have trouble believing that. I just think it might mm. be somewhat of an out. The other thing I found I thought was interesting, NBC was reporting, and we added too, that we planned on hitting R- IRGC bases mm-hmm. uh, ahead of time. So we announced it. It was in the New York Times and was on NBC that we have picked out the sites, and they're going to be uh, Iranian sites but outside their country. And then Jennifer reported right at 9 o'clock Eastern time, they've been, uh, the Iranians have vacated those bases. Right. I mean, it, it seems that the U.S. is doing a lot of favors to the Iranian regime. Or put it this way, the, the Biden administration would say we're not doing them any favors. We're trying to help out Iranian civilians. We're trying to, you know, there was word now that they gave the Iranians a heads up about the terrorist attack to try and prevent people memorial. from. Right. Um this is not that. This is military strategy that's going on behind the scenes. Um, I don't think it's something that the United States put it this way. I don't. I don't know something here that I'm not divulging, but I doubt that the United States passed that information on. I think it likely leaked, and that's why you saw the evacuations of these uh, force bases by the Iranians. Yeah, so it's uh, clearly a perilous time. But one thing is pretty clear. The Houthi rebels have not backed off since those series of hits on them. They tried to hit one of our warships yesterday. Thankfully, we were knocked out of the sky. It could have been devastating. Over the weekend, they hit the, the British uh, the British commercial vessel. So that was exploding. We went and helped out over there. Mm-hmm. So you wonder if Anthony Blink is 100% right. This is the most dangerous and most volatile that this region has been since 1973. And not just because, you know, it's always important to remind folks in this conversation, it's not just dangerous because these proxy groups are emboldened and making moves and attacking and killing U.S. service members. That's obviously horrifying. The the thing that kind of like permeates on top of all of that now is the fact that Iran is speeding towards acquiring a nuclear weapon along with the capability to launch that anywhere in the world. David Albright reported they're a week away. That's kind of right. So that's what underlies – that's what makes all of this truly bone-chilling is the fact that now you always have Middle East actors that are kind of these rogue militias acting crazy and doing really stupid things. But now you've got another nuclear-armed power that's like overseeing all of that. And guess what Prince uh, – the prince told uh, Brett Baer? If Iran gets a nuke, we're going to get a nuke. Well, we have to. Yeah. So there you go. So there's a there's another story out that I think you might find of interest. This woman, Tracy Jacobson, is going to be the new ambassador to Iraq. Yeah, that's right. She's got a bit of a checkered past when it comes to Afghanistan. And Eli Lake writes about it. Say the woman who failed to rescue our friends uh, from the Taliban at the time of our untimely evacuation promised people visas. Most of them end up dead. So now her track record's so strong, she gets another uh, vital assignment, not an easy one, in Iraq. Yeah, the Biden administration is going to run up against a pretty hard wall with her. Uh, this is one of those positions that has so. to be confirmed through the Senate. I think there's going to be a, a, a battle waged over this nomination, you know, the likes right. of which we maybe have not seen before. They uh, Republicans in, on the Hill and critics of the administration hold her responsible for the deaths of those service members. They say her job was to help evacuate these, the 13 these AMSITs, um, and because they died, she failed in this mission. The Biden administration, Brian, I have to tell you, I've talked to a lot of senior officials like on-air, off-air, on the record, 
even on even sort of off record. And they say the same thing, which is they're all very convinced that not only was this not a failure, but that it was a historic success. I mean, they even today make the argument that uh, I think the way that they see it is this was a wartime, a war zone. They had to evacuate Americans from a war zone. It was almost destined that people, you know, something was going to go awry. The fact that only 13 people died was maybe limited according to like the intelligence estimates they had seen before. I I don't know, but they continue to see it. Do you know what I'm saying? They see it as a big success. They're like thousands of people could have died, but only 13 did. And that's how they see it. That is so twisted. It is scary. And considering the the fact is they thought they got the bomber the next day and they blew up a guy that just put water jugs in his trunk. Uh, how about the fact that at Abbey Gate they knew something was coming, but they didn't get, they weren't able to stop it. And for those thirteen families, if they're to hear ever hear that statement publicly, uh, I'm sure they're going to want to choke them out. You know, uh, John Kirby's come pretty close to saying things like that on the record. You know that we view this as a as a success. It was like a war died. a wartime evacuation. Right. Self inflicted you know. wartime evacuation. It is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And also the fact that he told George Stephanopoulos that the no general warned me that this could go bad, that this would collapse so soon. And the next week, General McKenzie, General Milley, uh, and Secretary of Defense Austin said, that's just not true. We did warn him. And when you go down to this force level, yeah, come on. That is, no one's ever put those two things together. But both those statements can't live together. But you know what's really sad, Brian, is the deaths of those 13 service members pale in comparison to, in terms of numbers, to the thousands that we lost during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan over 20 years. When you add up all the blood and treasure that was lost um, and you look at the way it ended and where that country is now, it's very hard to make the case that it was worth it. Right. Uh, Getting at the Taliban, killing bin Laden, absolutely. But one thing was so worth it. If we had a president of the United States, including the previous one that I think was coachable on this, according to people that were talking to him regularly, that if you explain to the American people, it's really essential to our security to have some type of presence in that area about a base that was so formidable. Look where it was, right in between China, Russia, and Iran, let alone looking at Afghanistan. Afghanistan is not going to be a perfect democracy, but there's not been a generation of women especially that have been educated that have more of a chance than ever before. And look at them now. Make the case. Make the case. Instead, they said, we just got to get out of there. But the American people are not pining to get out of Afghanistan. They just weren't. And number two, it's just like they're not pining to get out of Gitmo. Remember, that was a big thing during the Bush to Obama years. Got to close Gitmo. I promise to close Gitmo. When's the last time people were saying to you, Jillian, oh, we got to close Gitmo. It's just so bad for our reputation. Not. Uh, it's not really on the radar anymore. Right I mean, now. I think the administration still has like what they call a working group on it where they, you know, they yeah. meet like once a week or something or once a month. Yeah, so they they're still strategizing about getting it done. That started in the Obama administration when I was working at the White House. I remember being in some of those yeah. like original meetings. There hasn't really been any progress since then, which right. is pretty shocking. And there's no pressure to do it, really, uh, unless we hear things like uh, KSM is going to be coming to New York for a trial. Uh, Jillian Turner is here for a few more minutes. Jillian, what are you going to be doing later? Uh, I'm f- uh, anchoring America Reports today, filling in for Sandra Smith. Sandra Smith mm-hmm. with uh, John Roberts. With John Roberts, he's here in New York, so I uh, hope you guys watch us. All right, there's a Q and A right now with Secretary of Defense Austin. We'll give you that. We'll bring back some of the highlights in a moment. Don't move, Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The president will not tolerate attacks on American troops, and neither will I. Our teammates were killed by radical militias backed by Iran and operating inside Syria and Iraq. In the aftermath of the vile Hamas terrorist assault on Israel on October 7th, terrorist groups backed by Iran and funded by Iran have tried to create even more turmoil, including the Houthis attacking commercial shipping in the Red Sea. Okay. Uh, the Secretary of Defense is not giving a reassuring press conference. Appreciate the fact that he admitted he was wrong not to tell everyone that he was got cancer. Stayed in the hospital, had to go back to the hospital. Jillian Turner here. Jillian, we're just trying to make heads or tails of this. At the same time, he's addressing his own condition. He's also addressing the condition of the three who lost their lives, the 36 who are fighting for their lives after being wounded, as well as trying to describe the retaliation that's expected. I think if you're the Secretary of Defense, the, the position that he, General Austin, is in right now at this press conference is a worst-case scenario for you. You're being forced to respond to the deaths of three service members at enemy hands, and at the same time, reporters are grilling you about a what he calls a deeply personal issue that he flubbed, right? Anytime – it's like doing the news, Brian, right? You know this. The second that you're the story, something has gone terribly wrong. Right. No one wants to be out there facing questions about that. The point of this is not oneself. The point of this is the service. And I think this is deeply uncomfortable. But for me, anyway, I can't speak for anyone else. It's deeply uncomfortable to watch this because it's just terrible. I mean, it's I don't know whether you feel for him or not, you know, on a person to person level about his his diagnosis. It's just very uncomfortable to see the sec def on defense about his personal health in this way you Knowing know our country's health in it's, the middle east is on fire correct and th- those two things rubbing up against each other in this very public way is that's why i'm describing it as like a worst right. case scenario for you if you know him. we have the president that looks anything but vital and a secretary of defense who admittedly is fighting cancer uh and he's supposed to give a sense of strength and, and uh, reassurance and that's what happens people go down on the job and they have to come back uh and doesn't seem like he's ready because my personal opinion the other thing that came out, too, he said, you know, when you first went into the hospital, you know, you should have formed the president. What about when you went back to the hospital? Yeah, we he basically said, I don't know why my staff didn't tell the president. Now, if the staff was told not to tell the president, he threw him under the bus. If the staff didn't tell the president, he did the right thing and saying, listen, I didn't tell him not to They're tell the following president. orders, following right. orders. But that he says that'll come out in the report. And he said he doesn't know. Which is sort of opening the doorway a little bit there, right? Because Why didn't he, anyone tell him? In, yeah. the, in the breath before, he said, I take full responsibility for this. But then he says, I don't know why the president wasn't told. Those two things conflict with each other. Absolutely. So he's going to have to explain that at some point. If you want to see more of Jillian, and who wouldn't, uh, 2 o'clock <laughs> Eastern Time, America Reports with John Roberts, right? That's right. All right, but they separated you. Is he here? No, he's here today, too. So we're both here in New York. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Jillian. I'll see you, too. Yeah, you'll be on with us. Tune in for Brian, if no one else. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
Wow, so much going on right now and has been going on all week. You know, yesterday I was talking about the tech conference that was going on and see with the family members who took such a beating, uh, losing a loved one, showed up at the hearing to tell about their real story that their loved ones felt susceptible to social media, mostly in their teens. And then you had the dynamics of the FBI director speaking out. And right now, for the first time, you see the Secretary of Defense having an open press conference. He came out and said, I was wrong. I should have told the president about my cancer. You think? Seems like a nice man, but there's no way to explain his terrible judgment and behavior. This guy's a four-star general. And now we also have a world crisis in the Middle East on fire and Ukraine desperate in need of aid. So, so much happening. We're going to bring you some of that back. Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour. We'll expand on that. And by the way, this is unfolding at the moment. And Jane Duker is here. And, and Jane, of course... Uh, Jane is a government attorney. She represents over 8,000 members of the Missouri Fraternal Order of Police, including the police officers in Congresswoman Corey Bush's district. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Former President Trump has been leading national poll after national poll over President Biden for the last couple of weeks, but not in this one. And maybe it's an outlier, maybe it's not, but Quinnipiac has Biden up on Trump. Six points, 50 to 44. <laughs> it could be an outlier or that could be the start of a new trend. We don't know. Uh, that is uh, Peter Ducey helping us out this morning on the new Q poll. But there was also a Bloomberg poll that said Trump winning in every single battleground state. What do we believe? We'll discuss it. Number two. What censorship is TikTok doing at the re- request of the Chinese government? None. Is TikTok under the influence of the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator. We are a private business. Your platform is basically an espionage arm for the Chinese Communist Party. Tech terror, grieving families and friends, made their way to Capitol Hill to tell their tragic stories of their child's death and how the leading platforms are to blame. It was dynamic. It was impactful. And I think legislation will emerge from this. Number one. Mr. President, you owe it to those in harm's way to have their back. The reason they're being attacked so often is that Iran doesn't fear you. If you hit Iranian oil infrastructure and hit them where it hurts, they would stop. Stop being afraid of the Ayatollah. Senator Graham weighing in. Not afraid. That's the theme in the world, in the world, and despite our superpower status, as Iran militia attacks continue and China's plan to take us down is revealed by our own FBI director and adding up to an administration that has to step up before more Americans die and more allies uh, flee. With me right now is, uh, and we're going to discuss that, what's happening overseas and what the, what the Secretary of Defense just said. We're just collecting that sound for this moment. I am not reassured by almost anything the Secretary of Defense said, except for obviously he's in pain. Obviously, this surgery has not been easy. Obviously, he lost about 50 pounds. Uh, but he had to read a lot of his statements. And there's going to be a major story out of this when they finally write the report if it's written honestly. Jane Duker joins us now on something totally different. As you know, uh, crime uh, and lack of punishment is the story in this country really since, I think, the Ferguson effect. Uh, the police have been on the defensive, had to define who they are and to explain to everyone, most of them are great people who don't do this for the money. That is not something lost on Jane Duker uh, in governmental affairs, and she joins us now. Uh, Jane, welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you for discussing the plight of our police officers, especially Jane, in St. Louis. Hey, Jane, don't you agree it started really in, in Ferguson with Michael Brown? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's when crime started to spike up and the number of police officers started to decline. 
But the departure of officers in St. Louis has exploded since 2021. We've lost 512 officers. And authorized strength is 1,200. Um, and, um, but yeah, losing 512 officers in two years is terrifying. So you have qualified immunity that's virtually gone in New York. Do you guys still have it in Missouri? Yes, we so, do. So Thankfully. that means they can't get sued and lose everything. Correct. And I mean, and that's, you know, we have a, a Republican dominated legislature, um, which helps. Um, so they have not been able to, um, you know, further um, degrade police officers' rights. Our Supreme Court just upheld our law enforcement bill of rights. So um, that's helpful. So at least we get due process that's given other city employees. So that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the conditions in the city are, are dire. They're dire right now. And, you know, Cori Bush doesn't help. I mean, she's been, you know, defund the police, even though I need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on security. Security for me, not for the kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we have a mayor that's aligned with her. And that's terrifying. They, they have been defunding our police to the tune of about 40 to $50 million dollars. Um, we are nervous because there is a lawsuit right now that's challenging part of the city's tax base. And city officials have basically already said if the city loses that lawsuit, um, that $50 million a year is coming out of the police budget. So right now, our police officers in the city are fighting in the Missouri legislature to get a citizen board to return control of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department to the citizen board um, um, sort of control that existed prior to 2013. So I want to, so what are the people that led this whole defund the police around the country that Joe Biden said, I never said that. And Democrats going, what are you kidding? Not me. Well, there's one that never stopped saying it. And I remember even as early as August uh, of 2021, cut 47. Do you know this voice? So if I end up spending 200,000, if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. Really has to happen, huh? That it has mean, to happen. Unreal. She says it and over and over again. She does. And I mean, she never backs off. And um, it's demoralizing that she gets to pay her husband. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for security. And, um, you know, is her husband qualified? Is her husband qualified? He doesn't have a license. So that so it's very interesting because her um, campaign report just came out and she has now changed. She used to call it security, what she was paying her husband. She's recently changed the designation of his salary to wages. So, I mean, that's not a red flag at all. I mean, you, you start doing that after DOJ has, you know, subpoenaed your staff and has basically announced that uh, you're under investigation. What, so, is, what, I mean, is, what is the charge against her? I think it's, mis, you know, mis, it, they're looking into the security funds um, and her campaign funds. But then I've also, their sources here are reporting, um, the media is reporting, that they are also looking at some of her travel expenses. So this could be, you know, any number of different issues. And her staff, I mean, she's lost most of her staff. And it was reported yesterday that her staff received subpoenas. So, I mean, you know, DOJ does not appear to be playing. I mean, by the time they release subpoenas to the House clerk and they subpoena employees, they usually gotcha. And they're just getting records to confirm. Um, so I don't know if something will happen before the election, 
but it's it's people are are just flabbergasted, and she's treating this as if it's no big deal. I think that uh, it's a mistake. I, I think it's a huge mistake. So it seems like you know maybe the Democrats are getting tired of Cory Bush. I I can't believe someone's not running against her. Here's her. They here's are. her. We've got one guy. You have one guy. Democrat or Republican? He's a Democrat and he's a Soros-funded prosecutor. So that's not great. Here is uh, well, yeah, this is probably worse. Here is uh, Cory Bush. Cut forty-four. I have endured relentless threats to my physical safety and life. As a rank-and-file member of Congress, I am not entitled to personal protection by the House and instead have used campaign funds as permissible to retain security services. I have not used any federal tax dollars for personal security services. In recent months, right-wing organizations have lodged baseless complaints against me peddling notions that I have misused campaign funds to pay for personal security services. That simply is not true. So, and by the way, just to, she also went out to blame it on Republicans. Is the Department of Justice full of Republicans? Not lately. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's what I mean. You know, you've got DOJ breathing down your neck, um, and it's of your own party. Um, that's never a good sign. And, you know, I, 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 I know it's, it's delusional. I mean, it is very delusional what's going on here. And, you know, she never votes with the president. Joe Manchin has a higher, you know, percentage of, of voting with the president than Cori Bush does. So I don't know, you know, why she would be looking for help from this administration. She voted, she voted yesterday to support terrorists. She, her and Tlaib were the only two that voted against the resolution saying, you know, we're going to deport Hamas terrorists, voted against it. I mean, it's it's amazing to me. It is amazing to me. And, it, and it'll be interesting to see how this vote goes. Um, you know, there is a primary challenge. I have a feeling that the Jewish community, which is very strong in St. Louis, um, is livid with her. Uh, you know, they're a reliable, progressive vote. And the first chance, you know, our congresswoman got a chance she threw the Jewish community under the bus, right? And so they're get, they're getting very active, and rightfully so. So I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting election to say the least, because she's not backing down at all. She's so, not. In fact, here she's no. defending her her husband. Cut forty five. The nature of these allegations have been around my husband's role on the campaign. In accordance with all applicable uh, rules, I retained my husband as part of my security team to provide security services because he has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or, uh, or below fair market rate. So uh, look, go ahead. Game well, on. Why did she? Well, then why did she? Why did she suddenly on this last report stop denoting his payments as security and denotes them now as wages? Uh, I mean, that seems to undercut exactly what she's saying. Absolutely. There's something else I want to bring up, too. I don't know what your illegal immigration situation is, but in New York, we got about 70,000 illegals all over hotels, converted rec centers. We we have them uh, just spilling out in the street. They're not allowed to work. We don't know. They get dropped off, I think, by the hundreds at Port Authority almost every day. And then over the weekend, mm-hmm. video emerges of our cops being beat up when they came to the scene to try to settle down a scrum that was taking place. We, can't, we arrest five, and, and they, almost, they all get out on, with no bail. It's not a best oh. situation without bail. And one 
gives the, uh, the middle finger to the cameras as he's walking out with a big smug grin on his face. Do we, as a country, have to allow this lawlessness for them to get in and for them to break our laws and attack our law enforcement? What legally can we do to stop this? Yeah, it's epidemic. I mean, well, one, you have to empower police to say, if you break the laws, we don't care who you are, you're, you know, you're going to jail and you're going to get kept there when you flout authority. I mean, they knew exactly what was happening and they they meant to, to demoralize the police. And the more we allow administrations to demoralize our police. The, the harder it's going to be to enforce the laws. Right, We're but they don't even allow happen. solitary confinement in our prisons, so they have no retribution when these mm-hmm. when these prison when the prison guards get attacked. Mm-hmm. And now the right. governor of New York is still thinking about what to do. Cut twenty. <laughs> twenty nine. Twenty nine. Those individuals be deported. I think that's absolutely something that should be looked at. I mean, if, if someone commits a crime against a police officer in the state of New York, um, and they're not you know, they've not processed they're not here legally, definitely worth Checking into him. Yeah, you think? Final thought? Yeah, I mean, what else do you need? It's on video. And, and I mean, that's what's disturbing is cops don't even get the benefit of the doubt when it's on video. All right. Thanks so and, much. Hey, uh, I, I'm going to have to take a break. Uh, Jane uh, Duker, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, government thanks. attorney representing 8,000 members of the Missouri Fraternity Order of Police. Cops need somebody to watch their back because these government agencies aren't. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Bye-bye. We got it. I'll take your calls when we get back. I see you up there from North Carolina, Clifton, New Jersey, and beyond. one 408 Then I'll welcome in Mark Thiessen. We've got some polls to go over. We have a Secretary of Defense who just addressed the press. Uh, and then we have uh, other moving parts for the Republican Party, especially when it has to do with border reform. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This isn't stealing toothpaste from the CVS. This is kicking and beating the hell out of cops. I've got a feeling this isn't what bail reformers were expecting. I mean, this is so excessive. No, and and I certainly was one that was pushing bail reform. This is not what we're talking about. This is, as I said, deep form. Where are you releasing them to? You're talking about assaulting police. And by the way, we fought to get more minorities in the police department. Uh, right. That's one of the things that Commissioner Bratton and I did agree on. And now you're going to de- give a real, and, and in this case, it's hard to argue against it, justifiable attack on bail reform because you let some guys just kick a, 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 a policeman in the face and walk. That's not what bail reform was about. It is not what it should be about. These people assaulted a police officer clearly in Times Square and Clearly, we do not know where they've been released to. We're not, we can argue about how we deal with crime and protect civil liberties. We cannot uh, argue that that is anything short of a criminal act. So that is Al Sharpton, the voice of reason, talking about crime and bail reform, which he helped push through. It's been a, in 2019, a disaster on every level, every level, whether you go, whether you work in a prison, whether you work on the street. Uh, whether you want to be able to go to work or school or a bar and not be knocked, uh, 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 be assaulted or robbed, or, or dare I say, go to the subway. Bail reform is a travesty. Number one. Number two. What we're talking, what he was talking about, is illegal immigrants attacking cops with impunity and not going to jail. So even he is saying, "You got to be kidding me." 
Uh, that's not what I even tended to do, and I'm I'm out there, and I have no respect for cops, is what he's saying. You can't beat up a cop. My goodness, on what planet can you even answer a cop? I grew up in a in a uh, at a period which I thought we all did, where if you answer a cop back rudely, you're going to get yourself in trouble beyond. You know, you're going to the station. You act rude, and you keep walking. You don't respond, let alone hit him, and then you jump in. Tackle him, and then you jump in with your friend to beat up a cop and do some real damage. Here's more of this exchange. Cut, uh, cut 31. You must look at the fact that these were physical attacks. These were not right. somebody you're letting out for doing something that was non-physical. Right. Secondly, with migrants, you're releasing them to go where? So even <laughs> those of us that have fought for reform, there's a difference between reform and deform. This is deform. Yeah. This is this is where you are really, again, we need to deal with the migrant issue and we need to deal with the crisis. So to have people just walking around being able to do this is not reforming and it's not. Thank you. OK, I mean, that is that's a non-racial issue. You never hear Al Sharpton talking in a way on a non-racial issue in a way that you can agree with. But. This is a time when I agree with them. I mean, I would have been even more louder. You got to be kidding me. Uh, a non-American beating up an American cop on New York City streets, uh, this prideful city that takes great pride uh, with their law enforcement, and you feel as though when they show up to create some law and order, not only are you not grateful for three meals a day, us doing your laundry, giving you, uh, giving you shelter, but you beat up our cops? I mean, this is insanity. And this you add on to the craziness in Chicago and Denver with more per capita illegal immigrants than even we do here in New York. Please tell me who make, thinks this makes sense. And why do they put them all in working class communities, urban environments? The rich get out of this again. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The president will not tolerate attacks on American troops, and neither will I. This is a dangerous moment in the Middle East. We will continue to work to avoid a wider conflict in the region. But we will take all necessary actions to defend the United States, our interests, and our people. And we will respond when we choose, where we choose, and how we choose. That's our Secretary of Defense speaking out for the first time, taking questions afterwards, not only on a Middle East which is absolutely on fire, Ukraine is absolutely in need of some uh, weapons reinforcement, but also its condition. And why in a million years he ever thought it was A-OK to go uh, have a di- cancer diagnosis, go in for surgery, have an emergency situation where has to go back to the hospital, have weeks-long stay, and not tell the president virtually the entire time. Who knew about it? Who was told not to say anything about it? Why does he still have a job? Why is he not fired? Well, still hoping that everything comes out great for him. Sure, he's a nice guy. Appreciate his service to the country. But where did he get his leadership skills? Uh, through our military? Mark Thiessen joins us now, uh, former speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, fellow at American Enterprise Institute. Mark, I don't know if you're able to see this afternoon press conference. I'm trying to do looking at subtitles while hosting the show. But to me, I don't feel better having watched it. You're a multitasker. Uh, Yeah, I watched some of it. I mean, look, 
here's the thing. He is he's not just it, this is not like just like the secretary of commerce being out of contact with the with the uh, president for a period of time and not telling him or the secretary of transportation. This is the secretary of defense. He's in the military chain of command. He he takes the, the for the president to do something. He has to give the order directly to the secretary of defense. When I worked for Don Rumsfeld in the Pentagon, there were times where uh, I, I remember that the, uh, the the chief of staff called him and said, uh, you know, White House chief of staff and most important person outside the president in the White House calls him and says, uh, the president directed me to has directed you to do X. And Rumsfeld would say to him, I'm sorry, but you're not in the chain of command. If the president wants me to do something, he has to call me himself and tell me. It's just that's how it works. Yeah. And so he he put the military chain of command at risk. You know, you, you, you can transfer that. And I remember also Rumsfeld at the start of his time in the Pentagon. I was there uh, in, in 2001 when he first when he first arrived. He had a memorandum of understanding signed between him and Paul Wolfowitz that they would never be out of Washington at the same time. So that some one of them was always there to ensure the military chain of command. So, you know, this was just hugely irresponsible on his part. And he should know better because he understands the military command both as a civilian and as a military leader. He was a, you know, a second lieutenant who was receiving orders down the chain of command from the president through the secretary of defense, through the generals, down to the battlefield. So he should understand this better than anyone. And he violated it. Well, the other thing is, too, he had to read a lot of it. Because there was some really direct questions, even not from a Fox reporter, basically saying under what circumstances should you not be dismissed just to cut it. And because everybody would have been just you and I would have been I'm when I did the military chain of command. I'm, they wouldn't give me control of the Navy or Army or Marines. And yet I still have to report my whereabouts. You know what I get yeah. every Friday? Are you going to be available over the weekend? OK. And I'm pretty sure they uh, secretary of defense is more important than uh even though I guess I'm equal. I'm well, about equal with the Secretary of Defense and importance. You're in the chain of command of this show. Thank you. And that's, that's <laughs> so you important, that too. for you, which is nice. Right. Uh, people, <laughs> I got to tell people where I'm at. And you know what? I also like privacy. So you can live in both worlds. So yep. NBC is reporting that the president has decided on how he's going to respond. And it's going to be a tiered response to the killing on Saturday at our base, killing of three great Americans whose bodies are coming home today to Dover. And NBC says it'll include Iranian targets outside Iran and could consist of both strikes and cyber operations. So guess what? The Islamic resistance in Iraq have evacuated their bases. So is the uh, ISR's uh, RG. They have evacuated their bases. So NBC got a scoop or was it intentional? And now the people that were were responsible, they want to send a message to basically were just going to hurt their infrastructure and their mess hall. So here's the thing. Joe Biden said that we would respond at the time and place of our choosing. You know what else he used those almost the exact same words? After the 13 Americans were killed at Abbey Gate. And you know what? It's been three friggin' years practically, and nothing has been done. There's been no justice for them. There's been no response to that in any significant way, except we killed some innocent Afghans with a, with a, with a bad strike. So, you know, I take I take his his time and place of our of my choosing with a grain of salt. And, yeah, telegraphing your punches, really good way. I mean, you know, and this is par for the course. You know, when we started striking back at the Houthis for for hitting us at that, we actually at one point, uh, I think the Wall Street Journal reported we warned them about the strike was coming so that they could get out in time so that we didn't kill. We didn't kill uh, people. We just took out the weapons. I mean, this is just weakness here when Donald Trump was president. He, he drew a red line with the Iranian regime. He said, if you kill a single American, 
I will not respond against your proxies. I will respond against Iran, and it will hold you responsible. We're not going to play this game of whack-a-mole with your proxies. You are directing them. You are responsible. You will get hit. And when they crossed, they tested him, and they crossed that red line, he took out Qasem Soleimani, and he told them in a tweet, he said, if you retaliate, I have selected 52 targets inside Iran in honor of the 52 American hostages you took in 1979, and, I will, and, and, and we will strike inside Iran. You know what happened? The Iranians, not only did they back down and not retaliate, they, they warned us. That they, they said they, they sent some missiles to miss us, our, our base in Iraq, and they warned us ahead of time that we weren't going to, that this was just their response not through back channels. And then you know what happened? Peace broke out. Four Arab Israeli peace accords in the region in, in the wake of the Qasem Soleimani. That's what strength on the international stage does. Weakness is provocative. Weakness. Is, is, is and, and when you when he when Austin says in that press conference we don't want a wider war Kirby says we don't want a wider war you're projecting weakness they're the ones who don't want the wider who shouldn't want the wider war they're the ones who they, the Iranians know they can't win a war with the United States they are not going to provoke a war a direct conflict with the United However, States of America if they are close to a nuclear weapon that changes everything. A hundred percent. We can't let them get it. This is why you can't get, allow them to get a nuclear weapon. And also, there's a big, so, you know, North Korea has a nuclear weapon, right? And they have missiles of increasing of increasing lethality. That's really bad for our national security. But you know what? The the North Koreans are not a, a martyrdom death cult. Kim Jong-il likes his mansions. He likes his life. He likes his, you know, his, his harem of, of, of North Korean women who serve all of his needs. He likes his fancy cars. He doesn't want to die. The Iranians are a, a, an Islamic radical death cult. They want, to bring, they want to bring about the end of the world with the, the coming of the, of the Mahdi, you know, uh, who's going who's to end the, end the world and bring us into paradise. They actually are a martyrdom culture. So you don't give martyrs who believe they are going to paradise with a suicide vest, a nuclear weapon. Right. It can't happen. And the Saudis get one right after. A couple of things just to qualify. We did respond after those 13 were killed at Abbey Gate. We blew up a guy who was loading uh, water bottles into his yeah. trunk, and we That's told him we he did. was responsible. So we killed yeah. an innocent person. So yeah. we never did anything. And by the way, I was told yesterday by Congressman Van Orden that we've given the Taliban $8 billion since we left. Do you believe that? I can't believe that. So well, I mean, we we gave we've given the uh, the uh, we gave the Iranians billions of dollars. So why won't we give the uh, Taliban? Why not? All right. But we but we can't give money to Ukraine. <laughs> right. I mean, so far the good news is somehow the EU has managed to get the money to Ukraine, and I guess they circumvented Hungary. I don't know the details of that, but for some reason Hungary thinks the Russians are right uh, to invade another country. So yeah, and we got a lot of conservatives who think Hungary is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right. Not me. Uh, yeah, Bloomberg has Bloomberg has a poll out, and it says Trump's up by 10 in North Carolina, Nevada by 8, Georgia by 8, Wisconsin by 5, Michigan by 5, Pennsylvania, and Arizona by 3. Now, the uh, bad news is in the Quinnipiac poll, Biden up on Trump by 6. This is the first time Trump has trailed in the poll in a lot, a lot, a lot of weeks with RFK in the race, and he's going to be in the race, uh, Biden by 2, with Haley, Haley's up by 5. With RFK in the race uh, and Cornell West and Jill Stein, there's no reason to think not. Biden wins by seven. So yeah, that's because, because tell me what you Trump think of both these polls. 
Well, first of all, I think that's because there's some Trump voters who say that if Trump's out of the race, they'll go to RFK instead of going to Haley. Um, but, you know, we, we, we'll see if that actually would happen in a real in a real election. Look, here's the reality. Donald Trump is leading right now in some of these polls because Biden is at, at the absolute depths of his approval and quite the depths of approval for any president in the history of the country. And so, look, it's entirely possible that Trump can beat him, but he is the least likely person to do it. And those polls are going to get tightened before the election. People are going to come home to their tribes, as they always do when it gets closer. And this election is going to be decided not by the MAGA voters. It's not going to be decided by liberal Democrats or Biden's base. It's going to be decided by 43,000 people in three states, because that's when the 2020 election was decided. 43,000 people in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, if they had flipped, Donald Trump would have won the Electoral College. So those are independent swing voters who will decide right. whether they're voting for Trump or Biden. And guess what? We got, uh, Donald Trump needs to start focusing on, on winning those people over if he wants to win the presidency and if, he, if he's going to be the nominee. Because if those people don't vote for him, he loses. And, we got, and guess what? We got Kamala, President Kamala Harris. Because look at you, just look. As for Sean Hannity the other night was showing Joe Biden talking about immigration in the 2020 debate, and I was like, "Who is that guy? He looks young and vibrant, and like you know, can string a sentence together, and then he doesn't have his drool cup. What, what's going on? You know, <laughs> just, you, he looks a lot better. Yeah, it's you know, how is he? He's not going to be president in five years. He won't be able to. He won't. He might not be alive in five years, much less at the at the rate of his decline. Kamala Harris is going to be president. So, you know, be really sure you want to make this choice, folks. So, <laughs> you, you, you want to be so 100% what do you think, sure. Are what, you sure? What do you think of this border deal as you know it now from the Senator Langford, Senator Cinema, Senator Murphy have been working on? I wrote a column today trashing it, and then I held it back because I just want to – I haven't seen the deal, and I don't want to I, – I, I'm, I'm very skeptical of it. Um, but I but I decided not to publish it yet because I want to see the actual deal. In fairness to them, they claim it's a lot tougher than the than the uh, than the critics are are making it out to be. Um, so I I don't know. I, I here's what I do know is that the Republicans have all the leverage right now when it comes to when it comes to immigration because uh, the Harvard Harris poll just came out and for the first time ever, and this is from Mark Penn who is Hillary Clinton's pollster. Uh, immigration is the number one issue in the country, ahead of inflation, ahead of abortion, ahead of the economy, ahead of jobs, ahead of uh, crime. It is the number one issue in the country, and Democrats are up underwater on it, and Joe Biden is underwater on it. They are, they are, and the reason for it is, is because Greg Abbott, a absolute American hero, nationalized this issue by sending right. all these migrants up to the to Democratic cities. And all of a sudden, people across the country are paying for it. They're having their kids kicked out of their schools so they can uh, make room for migrants. Their they're, 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 they're taxes are going up and to, to pay for all these costs. And all of a sudden, people are concerned about it. And Joe Biden is on the ropes when it comes to immigration. We should demand a border wall. We should demand is, that they shut down the border. Is there a risk of giving this issue to the Democrats, if it looks like the Republicans are walking away from a bipartisan deal, uh, there is a risk of that. But there's a but. The, but if it's a bad deal, then you just hold your it holds your guns. There's no there's no way that in the end that the, that the voters are going to look and say the Republicans are the reason why the borders in chaos. Joe Biden has been look. Joe Biden has been the president of the United States for three years. Every single year, he has broken the record for for border encounters. 
There has never been an onslaught on our border like this, and it's happened, and it just so happened when to, to, to begin when Joe Biden was president. He's going to own that regardless of what happens in these negotiations. Now, right. if we can use that leverage to get him to crack down on the border and it's a good deal, we should take it. Um, because then, then it's a victory for us, and then we can do more when we, if we get back the presidency. But, but don't take a bad deal, and don't give him uh, political cover. All right, uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you, and I will see you soon. Mark Thiessen, the Washington Post, he held back a column. So don't blame yourself if you didn't read it. But just so you know, all he has to do is hit print or send, and we'll finally, <laughs> finally find out exactly what Mark thinks. <laughs> take care, Brian. Go get him. One eight six six. 408-7669. I see some calls up there. I'll get to them next. Also, where you could see me live. And I've seen myself live. It is great. Back in a moment. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. But I want to be crystal clear. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. And I take full responsibility. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. He can't do the job. He's really hurting. I feel bad for him, but his decisions were horrendous. What other bad decisions is he not making? Or is making. Uh, And I'm talking about Secretary of Defense Austin, fresh off his first press conference. And the press did a great job just saying, listen, I'm glad you're okay. But what were you thinking? December, you get the diagnosis. You don't tell anyone. You go in for surgery, you don't tell anyone. You got to go to get an ambulance, go back to the hospital, you don't tell anyone. What part is your staff and what part is you? What part is privacy and what is responsibility? And by the way, the Middle East is on fire like we have not seen in 50 years. We're constantly under attack, Does it, and you've been absent. And I don't even know who your deputy is. It's just crazy. Um, so that's uh, and we'll bring some back of that, and you, you'll be hearing a lot more about this. Quick note: I'm coming to uh, on April 27th. I'm coming to Henderson, Nevada. You might not know Henderson, uh, but it's going to be the Green Valley Ranch Event Center. It's a great place, I understand. April 27th, BrianKillMe.com. I'll be on stage. Uh, talking about a patriotic, motivational, inspirational time. We bring great moments in history to life. You could see some highlights on Fox Nation. I hope to see everybody in person. Make your plans accordingly. BrianKillMe.com. Buster, you're in Austin. Hey, Buster. No, excuse me. You're in Virginia. What's on your mind? Brian, how you doing? I appreciate the show. Hey, I'm just calling. Austin knows better. He was a general officer. I wish him the best health-wise, but he has no business doing that. And as far as his uh, comments on what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, my problem with these progressives is they have this uh, term called proportionality. You don't get rid of an enemy by responding proportional. You destroy them. Thank you. And that's why they train. That's why we have the best equipment. Buster, that's why we give $900 billion annually. I don't know where it all is. It's not going to great recruiting videos. I'll tell you that. They're making no effort. But when people hit us, we got to be defending us. And if we show we're willing to hit, we're not going to get hit. Daniel in Colorado. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Brian. Uh, good to be on. By the way, Green Valley Ranch has an awesome spa. So I'm 100% disabled. I'm getting there veteran. early then, Daniel. 
I, I, I'm a 100% disabled vet, and I want to say that I was an air intercept controller. That's the opposite of an air traffic controller. So the other day when the Gravely was almost hit, one mile is about one and a half seconds. The CWIS, close-in weapon systems, is basically a Gatlin gun, okay? 75 rounds a second. So those people all had a collective sigh. We're going to have a ship hit. I hate to say it. It'll yeah. be this month. They were a second away from 50 to 100 people dying. And the border, after the FBI director says all that, we're not separating the Chinese. When, he, when we know the Chinese want to do, do harm, they're doing all the hacking. It's absolutely insane. Daniel, it's impossible to watch the FBI director yesterday, even the highlights, and not understand that we're under direct threat. It's impossible to understand what's going on in the Middle East, read about it, and not understand that we're under direct threat. Is anyone going to do anything about it? Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.